scripture reading this morning comes from Romans 5, verses 12 through 21. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man of Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that sin, as sin reigned in death, Grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it is Palm Sunday, but I'm giving you the last of the cross sermons today. So we're looking at one last image of what Jesus does on the cross. This past week on Monday, the University of Virginia men's basketball team won the NCAA Division I championship. It was their first championship ever as a school. It was a big celebration. But what made their story unique was the turnaround from last year to this year. And I don't know if you followed the story, but last year, the Virginia team came into the NCAA tournament as a number one seed. In other words, they were one of the top four teams, and they were the best seed in their bracket, in their section of the tournament, which means they were to face a number 16 team. Now, in the history of the tournament, which included well over 500 games of one seeds versus 16 seeds, there had never been a 16 seed beat a one seed. It had never happened until last year, Virginia lost. And uh, it was like this very traumatic, like one of the biggest upsets that sports can have. This just does not happen. And uh, they were asked about it a ton. And there was a ton of pressure on that team coming into this year. And this year they found themselves a number one seed once again going into the tournament. And uh, in that first game, if you watched it, you could feel the tension through the TV as they were playing as a number one, playing a number 16 team. And uh, I think because they lost last year, that number 16 team had a lot of hope that they could do it again. And so Virginia was down as much as 14 points in that game. But they, they hung together and they won that game and they kept winning and they kept winning and they came to a championship game against a uh, team that looked like it was its time. But they pulled it off. They won the game. It was one of the great redemption stories in history to go from one of the biggest losses last year to finally getting an NCAA championship. What a turnaround story. 
What does it look like if they don't win? What does it look like if they lose as a number one seed for a second year in a row? Imagine the trauma on that program and on those kids. How many of us have stories in our lives that we wish we could do over again? How many of us have stories, parts of our lives we wish we could forget and we wish never happened? How many of us have losses in our lives that we wish we could just get a win that would overshadow that loss? That we could have a forget, a take back, a redo, a mulligan. We are today, to, we're here today to talk about the word recapitulation. Recapitulation. Everybody say that word. It's going to say recapitulation. And how many of you have never heard that word before? Yeah? You, you may have as a shortened form. Okay, it's the word recap. You've heard that word, right? Recap. Like a retelling, normally in a shorter version. Like if you missed last week's show, you can watch the recap and get the whole show in four minutes. Okay, or at the beginning of a show, they might say, one of the shows I like is a show called Elementary, and they always say, uh, previously on Elementary. And they sort of recap important scenes for you to know so that you can go into this show. But a recap or a recapitulation is not simply a retelling of facts. Sometimes a recapitulation or a recap can be the retelling of a story in a different way. How many of you ever heard this before? You ever heard somebody tell a story and somebody else who was there tell the story and it's the same story but it's different? Right? Okay, that's also a recap. But it's a recap, but it's, it's a retelling. Not just retelling the facts, but retelling it in a different way. Virginia's season this year recaps last year okay so all, all the news was telling this report again and again and again except it's got a much better ending this year paul does not use the word recapitulation but but it's a good way it's a, a good way the theologians have used for a while to talk about one of paul's many ways of describing the saving grace of jesus christ in Paul, there was this old story that happened in the world, and now there is this new story uh, that uh, is happening because heaven came into this world. There was this character, Adam, and then there was this character, Jesus, and Jesus comes in and retells this story of Adam. And in fact, the, the name Adam uh, may not even be a real name in the Old Testament. Adam is just the word for man. Okay, a, a woman is uh, Adama, just the female of that same word. So we have this man, we have this person, this Adam. And in the Bible, Adam is made good in the image of God. He's given work to do and a partner to do that work with. But something happens, a fall. Paul says a trespass, that's a legal term, right? You, there was something wrong and then you did it and now you're in trouble. A disobedient act against God. Because of this trespass, there's penalty. There's death. Adam is forced to leave God's life-giving presence in the garden and face death. Adam now has broken relationship with the work he was meant to do and with the partner he was meant to do that work with. And because of a broken Adam, we have a broken community in a broken world. The Bible calls this then fall or the curse. And the curse is passed down to us. So that even today, we don't have a right relationship with work. Okay, sometimes we do too much work. Sometimes we don't want to do any work. Our work does not come easy. Our relationships do not come easy. Really, this terrible failure 
and loss stagnates the story of human history. In the rest of the Old Testament, God gives rules, rituals, sacrifices, but humanity just seems trapped in the laws and the transgressions. They can sacrifice again next year, but they can't ever get out of the cycle. The Old Testament then is a catalog of people who are stuck in Adam's curse but can never get out. You can never undo the curse. You're there. For every good king, there's a bad king. For every win, there's a loss. For every step forward, there's a step backwards. The Old Testament then is a mirror for us. This is our story. We fumble and we tumble through our lives knowing that something is wrong with us. We feel this pain in the world and know that it should not be that way. We struggle to do meaningful work. We wonder what it's all for. We live in broken relationship with our parents, our kids, our spouse. After all, we can't even live within our own selves half of the time, let alone with someone else. When Paul meets Jesus, he, he looks back at the story of Israel and his own story as being rewritten. That there's a new stage, there's a new chapter that goes back and tells that story differently. This one man, Jesus, becomes flesh. God himself, no longer separate from humanity, actually enters into humanity. Though he is tempted in every way that we are, he does not fall. He lives the life that Adam could not. He calls for a new kind of kingdom. Not one of judgment, but one where the last shall be first and the least shall be love. He calls for faith to do great things and calls us to thrust, it calls for the thrust of our work to be not about ourselves and not about our own gain, but about loving our neighbor. He's rewriting the story. Then Jesus dies the death that Adam and all of us deserve. But amazingly, since Jesus does not deserve that death himself, something happens. Somehow, death is counted for us. His death earns our penalty. And when he defeats death, the story is then forever changed. He reverses the curse of Adam. Jesus is Adam undone. To help us understand how important this is, Paul, three times in this text, talks about more. How much more? It's one of Paul's ways he likes to make arguments. How much more? How much more is uh, uh, kind of a phrase like, if you thought dinner was great, how much more is dessert going to be great, right? If you think that's good, wait till you see. That's what, what he does with Jesus and the Adam story. So let me reread these three again. The first one. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus, abounded for men. So here's the first comparison. He looks at these two men, Adam and Jesus, and their two acts. One man, Adam, has the trespass that led to the death of many. The other man, Jesus, this abounding gift of free grace. Grace means God's favor. It's not just God's forgiveness of you. Grace means that God is for you and not against you. And He is with you and not just watching out to try to catch you in some wrong. God is really for you. And it's free. Why? Because you can't earn it. You can't earn it. Not retroactively. You can't uh, go back and... and uh, do anything different in your life and not in the future. You can't make it worth it in the future. It's free. You do nothing. 
And so the first point Paul makes is, you know what, this grace that Jesus gives far outweighs is how much more, much better than the Adam's uh, um, trespass. Then Paul says, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus? Again, the two men are compared, but now we're comparing results. The reign of the rulership. What he says is because of what Adam did, death reigns. How much of our lives are spent trying to avoid death? Right? Trying to think about death. Trying to make sure when that day comes, we've done what we can. We are owned. We owe so much to death. But Paul says that because of Jesus, there's a new reign. There's a new boss, a new king. And that is the free gift of righteousness and the abundance of grace. Our debt to death is retold in a new story. And now, instead of owing death everything, we owe Christ everything. Then Paul gives a third comparison, verse 20. Now the law came to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This must have taken Paul a long time to think about. Because he was a Jew, and he was a Pharisee, and he believed in the law. That if you followed the law, you could be saved. And he says here, no, the law does not save you. So what does the law do? For Paul, actually, the law makes things worse. Why? Because the law takes away your innocence. The law shows you exactly how bad you are. Have you ever been wronged by somebody when they didn't really know that they were wronging you? Like, oh, I didn't know that you felt that way. Oh, I didn't know that that was yours. Oh, I didn't. And uh, when somebody doesn't know, you can kind of forgive them, right? Because, ah, eh, they didn't know. But when somebody knows that they're harming you, when, they're, when they know this is going to hurt you, this is going to be bad for you, they're all the more guilty, right? Because they knew and they did it anyway. And so Paul looks back at the law and says, you know what, part of the purpose of the law is to make sure people understand that they're guilty. Why? Because then they can understand how they're free. The law increases the trespass, Paul says. And because of that, you can't get out of. The law never saves you. You always stay under the reign of death. But then when Jesus comes along, grace comes and grace abounds all the more. So as much as you were trapped before under the law, grace is so powerful that it takes over the law that you're not trapped anymore. The story is rewritten. There's a new reign, a new ruler. And in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we see who that ruler, ruler is. He defeats sin. He defeats death. He undoes their reign in this world and tells a new future for humanity. There's another great term that theologians have used for this over the years called Christus Victor. Christus Victor. Christ the Victorious. Christ the Victorious. And it's a reminder that Jesus, through his death and through his resurrection, defeats sin and defeats death. Right? That, that in retelling the story, he's also winning the new victory. What we need to notice, and we often miss, about Paul's discussion is that there's no talk of heaven or the afterlife here. 
Paul doesn't talk about the coming resurrection. He does not talk about going to heaven someday. For Paul, this retelling of story and this reign, uh, this defeat of the reign of death, isn't a someday thing. It's a now thing. The free gift of grace and righteousness is not about punching our tickets for the next life. It's something that's happening now. This is the message of Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is here, and it's like mustard seed, and it's small, but it's breaking in. The recap is continuing. The retelling of the story is not just about the future, but it's also about the present. And here's the tricky part. It's also about the past. That includes your story. That includes my story. It includes our story together. It includes our church's story, our community, our nation, our world. God is undoing Adam. He is undoing the Adam all around us and even within us. Now that sounds maybe very philosophical. But I think, and maybe even mystical, but I think it's actually very practical. The recapitulation, the recap of Adam's story is not just a future thing. It doesn't just change the ending. It changes our story now and it changes our past. What if Jesus wants to take your story and my story and rewrite it? And not just the good parts, but what about the bad parts? The parts you wish you could rewrite, the parts that you wish you could forget. What if all those things out of your past, not just including the ugly parts, but especially the ugly parts, God wants to rewrite those with a different ending right now. What about that part of your story you would like to have rewritten? What about your life and your character do you wish you did not have to deal with? What have you said so many times that you wish God would take this part of you away and out of your story? What problems pretend, do you pretend like you don't have so that you don't have to deal with them? What relationships do you have that are so broken you don't think they could possibly be healed? <coughs> Who harmed you in a way that is totally unforgivable? What doubts or fears do you have that you never voice to anyone because you know you'll sound crazy? What future do you want but you dare not dream it because you'll know how disappointed you'll be if you fail? What if Jesus wants to take those parts of the story, the hardest parts, and actually retell them with a different ending? What if he wants to go back in your life and take all these terrible things, some of them terrible things, and rewrite them with a different ending and give you comfort in those things, but not just for you, but for other people through you? It's easy to trust Jesus with our future. Someday I'll be saved. Some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away, right? It's different to say about now, but it is really hard to give Jesus our past. I mean, every little piece of the story. But what if that's exactly what Jesus wants? I know many Christians that trust Jesus with their future, but, but a whole bunch of their past, they like bottle up and they say, okay, Jesus, this is off limits. And what if the recap, the retelling that Jesus wants to do in your life is exactly in those moments? Because that Virginia basketball team that won this year the, NBA, the NCAA championship, I wonder if losing last year was part of the catalyst that helped them win this year. I wonder if they, if they didn't go through the journey of last year, the failure and building of character that they went through, they wouldn't have had the character to do it this year. 
And they were in a lot of close games and in a lot of tough moments, and they kept their character. Why? Because they went through the furnace of last year, and they won this year. And I wonder if we as Christians, sometimes we need to go back to our past and give it to Jesus and say, okay, rewrite this. And we got to get back into the furnace so that we come out on the other side. After all, that is exactly the story of the cross. That is your life and that is mine. May you let God write your story, even if that means rewriting the previous chapters. And may you be grateful that Jesus started that with the gift of his own life for the undoing of Adam in you and in me. Amen.